God, we thank you so much for bringing us to this place. It's a really special weekend where we look back at a very, very important event that changed everything. And that's when you made your entrance into this, uh, into this world to feel what we feel and go through what we feel and, and go through it in our lives and say, no, it looks like this. And there's hope and you can have a life and just, just follow me and watch me and I'll, I'll, I'll take really, really good care of you. And a lot of us in this room, we believe that. We believe, we've leaned our whole lives against that. Some of us, we're trying to figure out if we believe that. And some of us, we don't know what we believe. We just came in here because we're just looking for some hope. And so, God, we're going to ask you to do what you always do in this place, is that you would just teach us one good thing about your son, Jesus. Connect that to our lives outside of this place so that maybe when we walk out of here, we can actually have hope of having something better in this life. Um, we love you. Uh, just, just teach us a good thing about Jesus today. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Hey, over the past several weeks in here, we've been using a metaphor that Jesus used quite, quite a bit of building a house or, or building a home to represent building our lives. And over the last seven weeks, we've been kind, kind of working our way through the individual rooms that most of us have in, in, in our houses, but we're allowing each one of those rooms to represent a relationship or a role that we play like in the most important parts of our life, most important relationships, most important can't fail parts of our life. See, throughout the Bible, Jesus teaches that there's, there's different ways that you, we can build our lives. Some work and some don't, right? But, but Jesus says there is a way to build your life in such a way that while your life will never be storm-free, let me just clear that up for you. No matter how much faith you have, no matter how you, much you love God, you know, how much you believe God loves you, that, no, matter, no matter how hard you work in this life to try to put a buffer between you and the world, that, that's, that's no insurance against troubles in, in this life. Jesus said, in this world, you will have, you'll have trouble, you will, you just will. So, so while a storm-free life is not going to happen in our, in our lifetime, right, Jesus says that if a person will take what he says is right and true and works and actually stands up and not just believe it but put it into practice, he said it is possible to have not, not, not a storm-free life but a storm-proof life or home or, or family or marriage that won't fall apart over and over again every time the wind blows the wrong way. And so the goal of this whole series, if you haven't been here, let me just kind of catch you up. The goal of this whole uh, series is to answer some really, really important questions like this. What is the foundation that I'm trying to build my life on, my marriage on, my home on? What am I trusting in to hold me together and hold us together when life gets hard? That's what we've been trying to figure out in here. Uh, we've been trying to finish, kind of come up with a mission statement, you know, and, and, and we're going for this. Ask for me and my house. And, and a lot of us would say, I would finish that sentence very differently. Ask for me and my house, we're barely holding on. As for me, my house, it's a wreck, it's dangerous, it's not safe, it's wonderful, whatever that is. But this is what we're going for. As for me and my house, we're trying, imperfectly, we're trying to follow Jesus. We're trying to, to serve the Lord. So today, on this, this weekend before Christmas, we come to the end of this series. And the room that we're going to be looking at today, it's one of my favorite rooms. It's the dining room. It's a place where you eat, and I like to eat, all right? And, and a dining room is not just, you don't just want to eat food there, you eat special food. It's better than kitchen food. Dining room food is better than kitchen food, right? Or drive through backseat food. This is better. Dining food room is it's, it's just, it's just better food, right? It's, it's a room that if you have one of these in your house, the only reason you point at it is for one most important purpose. The only reason we have that room is because we eat in there. And usually, especially when it comes to their special occasions and holidays, get this, this is how I grew up. We had a table in our dining room, you could, you could, you could pull it apart and put leaves in it, extra, like extra boards, all right? And, and, the, and it's like a transformer table, like, all right? And you get more people around there to eat more food. And, and, and the reason that you put the boards or the leaves or whatever the extensions in that table, and the reason you'd invite extra people over is, and the reason, and the, well, mom, my mom only did this like twice a year, she'd bring out the good stuff, 
Like the china she got for her wedding had a little flower in the middle of it, and I wasn't allowed to touch that, you know? Usually it was like paper towels and bounty, t- right? That's, that's my house. But, but the reason she would bring all that out and put the leaf in the table is because we're celebrating an important event, special event, right? And that event usually is, is, is something that, that we're remembering something that just happened, and we're gonna have a party. Or maybe, maybe it happened a long time ago, a few years ago, decades ago, right? Something important happened, and it changed us. It changed us forever. From that point on, it, it's just been different. Think, think about this. It all happens in the dining room. Birthday parties, engagement parties, anniversary parties, graduation parties, Thanksgiving, coming home parties, going away parties. This is a new one. Divorce parties. You've been to them, right? I've been to two myself, right? So, right, that's just, so listen, it all happens in a dining room. Dining rooms are awesome, right? My, my grandma taught me this. Just a few years ago when somebody died, you didn't go to a funeral home. You brought them home, put them in the dining room, all right, for a few days. And, and then people from, this is so weird, people from the neighborhood or the church would come calling, ding dong, we're here to see dead great grandpa. He's in the dining room, right? And you go in there and you look at him and go, he looks good. And then you go in the living room because there's a table in there for the food because great grandpa's on the dining room table. But it, that, that's, that, that, it's, just, it's just nuts. I mean, but, but something happened, he died, all right? He died, something happened or it's about to happen and our, our life was different from that point on. For better or worse, everything changed. But I have some questions I want us to kind of unpack this weekend. Why is it that whenever something happens important in our life, we end up eating, right? For better or worse, let's, let's eat, all right? I mean, and even if you don't have a dining room or you rarely use your dining room, how about this? Why is it that whenever you have company over, all right, a few people to a whole bunch of people, and again, I don't care how much square footage you have in your house, your apartment, your trailer, but why is it at some point everybody ends up in the kitchen, I mean, every time, right? And listen, my kitchen doesn't have good seating. There's like two stools in there. That's all, all you got. But, but nobody seems to, to mind, all right? You're like leaning against the countertop. I don't know how many times people yell, hey, hey, can I talk to you? Let's go in the kitchen. All, all right, I got, a, I got a big old couch over there, a big screen TV. No, no, let's stand here next to these razor sharp knives, next to the burning hot stove, next to unwashed dishes. This is better. Now we can talk. All right, all right. Which brings me to this question. Why is it? Why is it that, that anything, anything, anytime anything happens in our lives, good or bad, somebody gets sick or dies or somebody's born, or, you know, somebody gets married, Christmas, Thanksgiving, Easter, why is it the first thing that we attach to that is, is food? Like every important thing, think about this, birthdays and weddings. Gotta have a cake, right? Gotta have a, hey, it's your, it's, it's your birthday, eat some ice cream. Listen, funeral, it's different. You know, somebody had surgery. Nobody brings ice cream to a funeral. That's weird, right? Would you like some funeral cake? No, thank you, right? It's just, a, that's weird, right? No, we bring casseroles. <laughs> right? Somebody died. Here's some tuna. Eat it. He's dead. Go, right? Right? That's just what we do. There's no explanation. We're just weird people, right? Th- Thanksgiving, all right? We eat turkey and pumpkin pie. Listen, I don't know who you are. Somebody told me the other day, sent me an email, go, said, hey, Pastor Jim, originally the pilgrims ate seafood at the first Thanksgiving. If that's you spreading that rumor, shut up. That's bad, all right? They ate turkey. It's in the Bible, so shut up. It's not, but it should be. But, right, right? Christmas and Easter. I eat more ham during Christmas and Easter than the whole rest of the year combined. You do too. Listen, I'll prove it, right? Stop by any honey-baked ham store in August, not a problem. You're in that like two minutes. You stop by honey-baked ham today after church, that's all you'll get done today. Right, you'll be around the block. All right, eat some ham. It's Jesus' birthday. You got to do it, right, right? We eat weird stuff at weird days, like, like New Year's Eve. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to eat a sandwich that's cut like a triangle. I'm a grown man. What is that? And then they're going to stick a cucumber on it. I don't even like cucumbers, but it's New Year's. I got to do that. I'm going to drink champagne at midnight. And then on, on New Year's Day, I'm going to eat sauerkraut. Why would you eat anything with those two words in it, right? 
I don't know. It's January 1st. Stink up the house. Let's eat. All right, here we go, all right? I'm not done. I got a lot of this. Listen, no one. I took my meds, I think. All right, so uh, no one, all right, by show of hands, nobody deep fries a turkey on 4th of July. That's weird, right? Nobody eats, drinks eggnog and watching the fireworks at the Rockies game. If you're an American, you don't do that, right? I mean, I mean really, it's, it's a Rocky dog fully loaded and a six-pack of something cold until you're fully loaded. But that's just what we do. I'm not judging you, right? Me too. All right, so anyway, all right. <laughs> Why is it? Why, why, why do we do this? Why, why is it that important dates and events in our lives are always or always have been connected to food and drink? And it's not just us. It's not just weird Americans, all right? In, in all parts of the world, like I've been all over the world, like in some parts of Asia, and I talked to a guy last night from China who was visiting. Listen, some, some people put bowls of rice and food on the gravesite. And you go, well, that's just dumb. You know, dead people don't eat, eat food. You know what? They don't eat fl- or smell flowers either. There's your sign, right? So that's just... <laughs> That, that's, I never thought about that. Why do we do that? Because we're weird. It's just true, all right? But then the other day, right, so, so, so four years ago, my, my dad passed away. After the funeral, you know what we did? We all went back to the church basement, had a potluck dinner. Why? I don't know, all right? But pretty much, no matter what culture you come from, all right, I watch Discovery Channel. I, I've studied this, all right? All right, Africa, Europe, Asia, you can be in a remote island in the middle of the ocean, and we all do the same thing. Something big happens in our life, good or bad, and it's time to fire up the grill. Why? And I'm sure there are a lot of reasons for this. And I'm, I'm sure there are people much smarter than me that, that have opinions on this. But I want to throw out one for us to consider as we move closer to closer in Christmas later this week. What if, I got, I got several what ifs today, all right? What, what if, without being told, without being taught, all right? And I don't know if I'm right on this, but just consider it. What if we just intuitively sense it and, and do it, connect food and, and really important events in our life? We do it because it's the way God made us. I don't know if that's true, but just think about it. What if God just kind of wired something into us? Now, now, let me be really, really clear about food. Even the Bible says that if food gets out of control or we use it or misuse it like in the wrong way, food can actually destroy us. That's just true. Paul writes this. Paul's the guy who wrote a big chunk of the Bible. He said this, food for the stomach, yeah, and the stomach for food, good, but God will destroy them both. So, you know, a good thing can become a bad thing if it becomes an ultimate thing. We talk about that all the time. So I'm not talking about misusing food or self-medicating with food or chronic overeating or undereating that's tied to something broken in our, in our, in, in our souls. I'm not talking about that. But why is it that, that the most important times of joy and sorrow almost always include some element of food? And not just food, like special food. Like unique food just attached to that event served in huge portions, all right? And it's, it's always associated with this one thing in our life. Why is it? And it's like God has just wired, this in, wired it into us. Something happened, you need to eat. So I, I want to throw out an idea or perspective for you to kind of think about between now and Christmas, all right? And I might be wrong on this, all right? I've been wrong uh, one other time. And so uh, <laughs> but what if, what if, think about this. What if food reflects a true theology of grace? It just kind of... Let's sink in a second. What if food reflects a true theology of grace? And that's some big words. Let me kind of unpack that. Well, let, 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 that word theology, all right? Theology means this. It's the study of or the belief that you hold about who God is and what God is like. That's theology. I think God's like this. I think he does stuff like this. I think he feels like this about me. I think God is, is like this. That's your theology. It's your view of God, all right? And the word grace, by definition, is something given to you that you cannot do or earn or achieve on your own or by or from yourself. It's like a gift. You, you can't earn it, all right? It must come from outside of you. And, and it's just like food. It must come from outside of you or be given to you, right? That's just true. 
Let, let, let me connect that. And, and, and all you visitors, we'll get to Jesus. Just hang on. Be patient. All right? So, so in, in Christianity, a lot of us around here, we, we believe that we are saved or are forgiven or reconnected back to God, all right, however you want to say it, not by something we produce from inside of ourselves. Not by trying to be a good person, you know, or, or trying to do good things in the world to offset all the bad things, and maybe God will kind of balance the karma scale, and then we'll be forgiven, and somehow we've kind of earned our salvation. We don't believe that. We don't believe that. No, we believe that what Jesus did for us on a cross like 2,000 years ago, and then three days later rose from the dead, and then what he offers to us, if we're willing to trust him, a lot of us, we believe that's the only thing that can save us. Let me kind of make it even more concise. We believe, a lot of us do, we believe because Jesus taught this, all right, that something outside of ourselves is being offered to us in great abundance, that'd be grace and forgiveness, love, and we can choose to accept it and receive it or not. We need it, but God makes it our choice to accept it or, or receive it or, or, or say, no, I'm going to go with something else. But it is available. Jesus makes this really, really, really clear. It is available to anybody who wants it, anybody who asks for it, anyone who believes it's, it's true. Yes, I would like to receive grace. And I'll be, to speak for myself, not a little bit of grace. I want a lot, like a big portion, lots of it. It's the same way with food. See, I'm not a prophet, but, but I'm right. Watch this, all right, right? Sometime in the next several hours, all right, your body will let you know that something is lacking in here. Some of you going, I miss breakfast. I'm already feeling it. All right, right? So something's gonna, your body's going to say, hey, something's lacking in here, and I can't produce it on my own. And there's something out there, food, calories, water, whatever that is, must be given to it through here, because if not, your body is going to weaken and then shut down. And eventually, unless something out there comes in here, eventually you'll, you'll die. Right? And that's just biology. But what, what if... What if God has given us food in the way that he's given to, it to us as a parable? And a parable is just this. It's an earthly, common, everyday temp- thing that we, that, we, that we deal with all day long in this temporary life, but it's actually pointing to something spiritual that lasts forever. What if food is pointing towards grace? All right, see, just, just like Paul, again, the guy who wrote a big chunk of the New Testament, he says that people can abuse food and the thing that was supposed to sustain life can actually kill you. Grace is the same way. See, grace is not something to be abused or, or used or leaned against, you know, as permission to continue to sin or rebel against God. But for those of us who have sinned and rebelled against God, and that would be four of us. Well, all right, you're liars. You just sinned. All right, there. Okay, you need God. All right, so, so all of us, we, we need grace, and we need a lot of it. Given in huge quantities, it's the only thing that can save us from outside of ourselves. Now, but here's the other thing about food that relates to this picture or this metaphor uh, or perspective about grace. So I've, I've been reading a book, all right? Oh, no, that's like two of this. It's great, all right? Scott recommended it, but shut up. But anyway, but it's, uh, the name of the book is My Life for Yours. It's written by a guy named Doug Wilson. This is what, God, uh, what Doug Wilson says about, about food and God. Look at this. He says this. God, most emphatically, is not a utilitarian. That's not a political party. Take a breath, okay? Uh, utilitarian is like someone's going, uh, just basics, Just really, really, really minimal, all right? God, most emphatically, is not a utilitarian. He could have devised a world in which nutritious food was available by the ton, like so much tasteless bran mash in a trough. That'd be fun. We could easily have been kept alive with food that tasted uniformly like stewed hay. But what has God, in fact, done? He's made a big deal out of this process by doing a lot of unnecessary stuff. If we just begin to catalog what God thinks of food, we are instantly overwhelmed just on the basis of how it tastes. Just think, just think of butter. Go ahead. 
oranges, milk, watermelon, garlic, salt, wine, steak, potatoes, bacon, grapes. I added to that list lasagna, Dove Bar, single malt scotch, and peanut butter fudge. God's good. <laughs> He's so, amen? Amen. It's the best thing you heard in church right there. See, God, God, God could have said, uh, everybody eat grass, works for the cows, go for it. It's good enough, the cows, good enough. No, no, that, he didn't do that. And I'm thinking about this, there's no other, or for me, no better explanation for why food tastes the way it does other than God is simply showing off. It's like, you didn't have to do this, but watch this, all right? I mean, you think salad is good? All right, take a bite of the smoked backstrap from this elk I shot last fall. It will blow your mind. But, but how about this, if that offends you, even if you're a vegetarian, which I don't get, but, but I don't want to judge you, all right? <laughs> don't email me, I don't care. But, but, but I, I researched this for you, all right? At King Supers, there's like 57 kinds of lettuce. So vegans, knock yourself out, right? <laughs> Ser- seriously, do. Right, but but which, 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 let me say this. <laughs> It's a joke, all right? Well, that offended me. Well, pray through it. Let, let me say this, all right? Hey, let's just offend everybody. Say, you know what makes me really crazy, all right? I've been watching a lot of TV lately, and pet commercials are driving me nuts, all right? They absolutely drive me crazy. They're just, it's just, it's just, like, I'll give you my two the worst ones. That fluffy white cat eating something out of a crystal goblet. That's just dumb. It's dumb. Don't feed your cat in a crystal goblet, all right? I, I, I like this other one a little bit better. That puppy that's dreaming of jumping off a pier right? I, I get a little tear in my eye of that. He's going to retrieve something, then he wakes up. But then the, 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 the commercials, and both those commercials always switch to explain how this particular pet food is made with the finest cuts of beef and pork and tuna or salmon. That's just dumb. It's ridiculous, all right? When was the last time your dog took down an 800-pound steer? Anybody? When was the last time your cat landed a 200-pound tuna? No. I mean, like when they were wild? No, they never did that. I guess, I, I've been some research on this. I've got a lab. Her name's Gertie. She's a little overweight. Don't judge her. All right, but for, for the last seven years, we have bought the same dry dog food in 40-pound bags. She eats the same thing every day, and she likes it. All right, and if we try to switch it up and give her some variety in her life, it doesn't work. She gets gas and pukes behind my recliner, so we don't. We don't. It's, just, it's bad. It's bad. She doesn't want me to switch it up. Just give me the dry stuff, all right? And, and the flavors, you know, it's not flavor like a t- If you want a flavor of something she really seems to dig, try rabbit poop and dead mouse. She loves that. <laughs> she whenever she can get a hold of it. Now, my point is this. We're going to get to Jesus. Again, just wait, all right, right? My point is this. You can get all the calories and nutrition minimums from a can of formula that you can find in the baby aisle at any, at any grocery store and stay alive if that's all you're going for. Right, you get a can of ice and meal and chug it and go, that, that's, that's, that's all, it keeps me alive. But why is it that, that we want more than that, especially around holidays? Why is it when it comes to food, we want variety, and we want taste, and we want texture, and we want, we, want, we, want, we, want, we want flavor. And when it all comes together in the right way, especially the first time we taste it, our response very often is, that tasted amazing. That's amazing. It didn't have to. You could have looked at, you know, whoever gave it to you and gone, that's all right. That was Okay. Not bad. I'm less hungry now, all right? Hey, mom, thanks. That's better than starving. I'm not dead. Don't say that to your mom, all right? She baked cookies. It may be horrible. Don't tell her that, all right? But, but why is it that what we really want is not just, it was okay. It's all right. It's better than nothing. No, we want more. We want more. Remember, this is pointing to something else. We want more than enough. We want more than sufficient. What we want, especially for eating something to commemorate a really important event in our life, what we want is, I want amazing Without apology, I want amazing. I want overflowing, like over the top, more than sufficient. I want more than I'm not dead. 
We want something that brings us or makes us feel or brings us alive. That's what I want. I want that in all parts of my life. When Jesus explained to Paul that his life, because Paul had this really, really painful life. We don't know what it was, but over and over, this guy named Paul, he prays, Jesus, can you take the pain away from my life? And the, the response comes back from Jesus, no, the pain is gonna stay, but I promise, and he doesn't promise him a little bit of grace. I'll help you a little bit, just, just enough. No, no, he says, no, I'm gonna help you so much, Paul. I'm gonna give you more than enough. My grace is sufficient. As a matter of fact, Paul, the weaker that you find yourself, the worse your day is, the more you'll discover the stronger my grace is going to be and continue to be more than enough. When Jesus is talking about forgiving one another and giving one another grace and forgiveness, here's how Jesus says it. He says, give. Give give what? Grace and forgiveness to one another. Give and it will be given to you. How much? A good measure. Pressed down. You've got to pack it all in there, right? Shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, It'll be measured to you. Whenever grace is offered to somebody or given to somebody in the Bible, it's, just, it's never offered just a little bit. Like, like a guy named Peter, a really famous guy in the Bible, he opens up one of his letters with this. Grace and peace be yours in what? I need both of those words a lot. I need a lot of peace. I need, I need a lot of grace. John, one of Jesus' best friends, starts out his biography about Jesus, the gospel of God. John, by, by stating that, that from Jesus we have received, I love how he says this, grace upon grace. He's like, could I have some? Could I, could I have another spoon? Yeah, give, heap it up there. Double portion is how it translates. And all through the Bible, you see big events and big deals are always accompanied by a, a big meal. And I'll give you my favorite one in the whole Bible, that prodigal son story. Again, if you've only been to church a few times in your life, I bet when I get into the story, you go, oh yeah, I've heard of that before. It's a picture of us coming back to God, our father. And do you remember what that, that runaway son, when he came back, do you remember what the father did? He called a robe, all right? So the, the son walks in, he's just filthy and naked, all right? He says, give, give, give my son a robe and cover up his nakedness. I don't want him to be ashamed ever again. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet because he's not a slave, he's my son. He's my son and kill a calf and fire up the barbecue. Let's have a huge feast. Why? For this son of mine was dead. He wrecked his life. He destroyed everything important in his life, but he's back and he's alive. And the celebration and the music and the dancing and the eating began. They, they, they ate an entire cow in one party. That's a great party. It's like, we're not going home till Bessie's dead and eating, right? We're just gonna, we're gonna do that. Just, let's have a big. You know what? The dad didn't have to do that. The, ga- the dad could have responded like some of our, our parents have done when we screwed up our life and, and, we, and we walked in the front door. He could have he looked at you and went, well, come on in. By the way, it was really stupid what you did and, and you shouldn't have done it in the first place, but I guess you can come home, all right? If you promise to act better and try harder, and by the way, there's some leftover pizza in the fridge, help yourself. No, it wasn't like that. Not in this picture of us coming back to God. It was a big deal, an important event. I thought you were dead. I thought you were dead. I didn't know if I'd ever see you again. And today you came home. My son is alive. So go and prepare the best food. And not a little bit, a lot of it. And let's have a feast. I was doing some research on this this weekend. In the Bible, the word holiday, holy day, it's only found once. It's in the book of Esther. In the Old Testament, a really small little book. And it's connected to God rescuing the Jewish people from being exterminated. There was a man that was going to wipe out all of them. And then God, God through Esther, he, he saved his whole people. And this Jewish holiday is centered around a huge banquet and a party. And that holiday is called Purim, all right? If you know, if you know Jewish people or you're, if you grew up Jewish, something like that, all right? Listen, there's this big feast and it's called Purim. Remember when God saved us? Remember that? But almost every other big event is, in the Bible is marked by, not the word holiday, it's marked by the word feast, now, all through the Bible, you have, there are several times a year when, when God's people were commanded to take a time out and stop and have a feast. 
fix a huge meal to remember special times in history when God had faithfully rescued his people like he promises he always will do. And you know some of these, like the Feast of Passover. You've heard of that, right? Or the Feast of Booths, all right? That's when the, the, the Israelites were wandering in the desert and they lived in tents. And so there's a feast to commemorate that. And the Feast of Pentecost, that's when the church actually started on the, on the, during that feast, all right? Here, here's one, all right? In John chapter 10, we find a feast that Jesus celebrated as a good Jewish man. Read this letter, blow, blow your mind. He, it, we, it was called in John 10, the Feast of Dedication. But in other places, it's called other things like the Feast of Lights. And today, we call it the Feast of Hanukkah. John chapter 10, Jesus celebrated Hanukkah. What, what was that? Well, when the Old Testament ends or the book of Malachi, and, and then the, the, the New Testament picks up with Jesus being born, there's 400 years in there. This is just history, all right? And during that 400 years in there, that's when the Roman Empire conquered that part of the world. Again, this is all history, right? And they, and they moved into the, Israelite, uh, the Israel uh, uh, area of the, the Jewish people there and, and to kind of put those Jewish people in their place. They invaded the Jewish temple in Jerusalem and they defiled it. A guy named Antiochus Epiphanes, he defiled it. And really, really just to offend the Jewish people, you don't know a lot about the Jewish religion, you know this is a bad deal, right? He sacrificed pigs on the altar in the Jewish temple. And then he put up a big statue of the Greek god Zeus, not because he believed in it, he just knew that would really, really make him mad. And that went on for decades. And then there was this revolt and then the politics changed a little bit. And then in 170 BC, all right, the, the, the temple was given back to the Jewish people and they had to clean it, cleanse it, rededicate it to the worship of the Lord. But everything in that temple had to be kosher, prepared just a certain way so it was holy, including the oil to burn in those lamps. But it takes eight days to produce new kosher oil. So Hanukkah is an eight-day celebration to commemorate the miracle that all they had was one day's worth of oil, but it lasted for eight days so that people could once again worship their Lord in his temple. And that's why, you maybe didn't know this, that's why that, that Jewish menorah ha has nine candles. One, one extra in the middle to light the other eight candles. And each day you light a new candle, and each day you eat a special food. It's the feast of Hanukkah, and Jesus celebrated it. I have a friend that's trying to teach me some Hebrew. Right? He's, he, he's, a, he's a guy I met at the gym. He's Jewish. And, and so we, we were talking about Hanukkah the other day. And, and, and here's what I've discovered is that during the Feast of Hanukkah, like in synagogues, probably like this weekend, all right, uh, uh, they, they always teach from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 34. It still goes on today in synagogues all over the world, right? And, and there, Ezekiel, the prophet, he calls out that the people, the Jewish people, are like a flock of sheep that rather than being led and protected by their shepherd, the religious leaders, right, who's supposed to take care of them, actually religion has become the thing that hurts them. Religion has chased people away and hurt people. Sounds like today. That's what religion does to people all the day. But then, then this, uh, a day is coming when God will send a shepherd to, well, well, listen to this. This is God talking through Ezekiel. This is God. He says this, a day is going to come when I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, my people, and I myself will make them lie down in green pastures, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I'll destroy. I will feed them in justice. When Jesus is being criticized because he had a meal with this guy named Zacchaeus, the religious snobby people looked at him and said, Jesus, you shouldn't eat with people like that. He's a sinner. He's done all these things wrong and you shouldn't even go in his house, let alone have a meal with him. And Jesus replied, for the son of man, that's his title, for I came to seek and save the lost. And Jesus, all those religious people knew, Jesus is quoting Ezekiel 34, I came to seek and save the people that religion lost, that, that religion hurt and chased away. It's why I came. It's why I'm eating a meal. I'm having a feast. I'm having a party. I'm eating and drinking with Zacchaeus. He's why I'm here, and I'm going to eat with him. So, so here's that, the what if I started this whole 
thing with, all right? What if food reflects a true theology of grace? And let me, let me kind, of, kind of wrap this, all right? If we let food stand for a metaphor for grace is something outside of myself that I need and I'm dependent upon that I cannot produce myself, food, grace, same thing. And the grace that God offers through Jesus is more than adequate or more than just enough, but is amazing and available in huge quantities. And if throughout the Bible, a great feast was commanded for God's people in order to celebrate and remember what God has done or supplied or saved us from or provided for us in huge ways for those that he loves, if all that's true, here's the application. Then what if, what if this week, your dining room, This Christmas, or how about this, from now on, whatever table you find yourself at, your kitchen table, your snack bar, a booth at McDonald's, you know, the TV tray in the family room before you binge watch Netflix on vacation, nothing wrong with that, my plan, all right, but what if, what every time, every time from now on that you sit down at a table to eat, you take a time out, and that meal becomes a symbol, a reminder, a moment where, where you say, I am saved by grace from something outside of myself that I couldn't do for myself, but it was given to me freely and I accepted it. And without it, without Jesus, I'd just die. See, I, I, the way I was raised, all right, is that you weren't allowed to eat food until everybody said, time out, you know, you get smacked or something like that, right? Bow your head, we're gonna pray, all right? And then we'd pray before that meal. But, but this is what, I was raised with a phrase, I never really understood it. Before we'd eat, somebody would say, let's say grace. I'm like, Grace? I mean, thanks for the food and trees and birds and all the things we rent, you know, right? Grace, now I get it. Grace, it's like food. I need this, I need you. So before I eat this, I'm gonna remember what you've done for me on an even bigger level. You know, there are certain, certain things that are commanded to do and not do in the Bible, but the feast or the holiday that we call Christmas, it's not in there. I mean, the birth of Jesus is in, in there, but, but there's no command to say, and you should have a holiday on this day. It's not there. But it has come to be one of the most special, and I'll just be honest with you, Christmas Eve, it's the best night of the year. It's just the, it's just the best night. And then the next day, it's just, you know, that, that old holy night that we sing about, it's just special. So how, how about this? So, so while there's no command to celebrate Christmas at all, there is a way to celebrate Christmas or anything having to do with Jesus it's possible to celebrate it in the wrong way. You don't have to do it at all, but there's a wrong way to do it if you choose to do it. And that wrong way, and let's stay with this food or dining room metaphor, the wrong way is to focus more on the food than the reason that we're eating food in the first place. We'll miss it. So here, here's what God said to his people who were more into the event of the holiday than the reason, the God that the holiday was supposed to be pointing at going, remember how good he is? Remember how much he takes care of you? This is God speaking to his people. So it would work for us today, all right? He says this in Isaiah chapter one. He says, your new moons and your appointed feasts, so all your religious holidays, my soul, what's the word? That's a strong word. Who's talking? God. So your holidays, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. And you gotta hear what God's saying there. God's calling out a reality. It is possible to have a holiday, a feast, and do it in the name of God. Happy birthday, Jesus, all right? And have God respond, I hate it when you do this. It's a burden. I am weary of putting up with it. I don't like it at all. And here's the result. Again, this is God talking. If if you're gonna keep on doing this, this is what's gonna happen. When you spread out your hands... That means I ask God, God, I need to help me. I need to, to fix this and all that kind of stuff. When you, when you spread out your hands, it's God, I will hide my eyes from you. And even though you make many prayers, I won't listen. Why? Because your hands are full of blood. And what's that mean? 
It means what you hope it doesn't mean. It means this. You, we can't expect to live our lives one way, violent, different than what God says is right and true, 364 days out of the year. We cannot live grace-less and then you know, have any expectation that some sentimental holiday or one day on the calendar in December, we're going to pray and it's going to change everything, even if it's in the name of God. It's not even realistic. That's what God says. But he's not done there. He says something needs to change. And here it is, verse 16. He says, so wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil from, of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Stop it. Learn to do good. It's not instant. You've got to learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. And I, I love this part. Look at this. He says, come now. Let's reason together. Let's, let's be reasonable. You know, the way Jesus would say is, let's rethink this part of your life, says the Lord. Though your sins, the way we've messed up our lives, are like scarlet, we've got blood on our hands, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. This is important. If you're willing, it's your choice. You don't have to do this. But if you're willing and obedient, you shall, what's the word? Yeah. You shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be what? Eaten by the sword. What's that? That sounds violent. Yeah, your house will fall down. Your marriage will fall apart. Your kids will go, I'm out. Like it's happened over and over. I'm not, I'm not going to change. I'm going to keep on doing what I've been doing. But the mouth of the Lord has spoken. But it doesn't have to be that way. So let's go back to that famous runaway prodigal son story of a boy who, there's no reason given, Dad, I'm just out of here. And he eventually ends up in this pig pen covered in filth and starving to death. And if he stays there, it's kind of implied in the story, if he stays there, he will die. He'll die. If nothing changes, he'll die there in that pig pen. One of my favorite lines in the whole Bible, not just this story, the entire Bible, is when Jesus says to that boy standing there in that pig pen, waiting for food to fall out of the pig's mouth so he can go, there, I got something to eat. All right? It's, it's, a, it's a desperate situation. Jesus says that that boy came to his senses. I love that. It's like the lights came on. What am I doing? He thought about his life, and then he rethought what he wanted his life to be about from this point on. You can't rethink what your life has been. That's your life. You can't change that. All you have is from this point on. And I can just picture him standing there just covered in filth going, I, I got to think about this. And then he went home and he didn't know if his father would take him home or not. You know, some of you, you feel like that, right? You're going to go to church and going, oh, this is going to be rough. I mean, the ceiling might fall in. I mean, I, I, I don't go, I'm not a church person. Or I went to church at one time and then I made a mistake and they kicked me out. And I, and I just know I'm going to run into somebody that went to my old church and they're going to look at me like, you're here, but you're here. And you didn't know what you would find. But when he went home, this is what you'll find too, his father took him back and washed him and forgave him and clothed him. And then because of what happened, a great feast ensued. And I wonder, I was thinking about this this week, I wonder is that boy sitting there at that dining room table, I wonder what's going through his head. Because you got to think, this is weird. This is surreal. Like 24 hours ago, I was in a pig pen. I was covered in filth. I was as good as dead. I was starving to, to death. Just 24 hours a day ago. And here I am right now sitting at my father's table, eating not a little snack, an abundance of the most amazing food. Why? Because my father has done something for me that I couldn't do for myself. On my own, in that pig pen, I am nothing. I'm going to die. I'm starving to death. This is on its way. But with my father, he has made something impossible possible. It's the only way this is, this is even a reality in my life. I, you know, I'm, I'm reading this and here's the question that comes up for me. So if food is a metaphor for God loving us and his provision and his amazing grace, what's that mean for poor starving people around the world? Does that mean that God doesn't love them? They don't have grace? I mean, it's, you know, he's not paying attention to them. Is that, is that why they don't have enough? 
you must love us more. It doesn't mean that at all. It means this, listen up. It means this is that people who have received grace, and that would be us, must share grace. Right? See, I think a lot of us as Christians, we, it's a cop-out. Please don't blame God for the people in the world that don't have enough when the people who have been given more than enough won't share. Right? Remember this? Again, it's Jesus talking. He says this, give and it will be given to you. How much? A good measure. A lot. Press down. Just cram it all in there. Shaking together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, with the grace you give, it will be given to you. If you receive grace, we got to give some more grace. we got to get better at that. So let, let me give you the message of Christmas. And then let me end this series on how to have a life, a home, a family, a marriage, all right, built on a truth or a rock or a promise that if put into practice, Jesus promises the storms of life will not cause the most important parts of your life to fall apart over and over again. So here it is. And I'm going to use a food metaphor here. Here's a big old huge serving of the best tasting grace you could ever hope for. And it goes like this. And I have been waiting all week long to tell you this. It goes like this, no matter what your life or your home or your marriage or your family has been built on in the past, no matter what you've done wrong or has been done wrong to you or how many times it happened to you, no matter if in the past you burned down your home, it's your fault, you burned down your marriage or your family, your character, your integrity, your sexuality, your children, your parents, your friends, you burned your faith to the ground, no matter what other people have said about you or to you, no matter if you put up a white flag and said, I can't do this anymore, no matter what untrue thing you've accepted about yourself, about your life, about your home, about your marriage, about your family, about your own soul, please hear this. God does not hate you. He doesn't. He's not mad at you. He's not disappointed in you, and he's not done with you, and he hasn't given up on you. You gave up on you. Other people have given up on you. God has not. He's been waiting for you to come home. He loves you. He loves you, and that's why he brought you into this room today. And right now, in this moment, there is a huge portion. Not someday, if you clean up your life and promise to be good, there's a huge portion, like on the level of a great feast worth of amazing grace that's available to you right now. Not someday, right now. And it tastes better than you thought possible. It's more than you think should even be fair. It's more than you think that you deserve, but you know you need it. It's more than sufficient. It's more than enough. It's so good. What God wants to give you today is so amazing and it's so strong. It's able to reach in the mess of any and all the collapsed rubble of your life and pull you out and pick you up and wash you off and put you back together and hold you together and give you not a second chance. I don't want a second chance at this life. I want a whole new one. I want a whole new life built on a rock that will not fall apart. Does anybody else want that for their life? If you didn't think it was possible, I believe that's why God brought you into this room today. It's not too late. Just ask. If you want it, let me quote Isaiah, then come now. Let us reason together. Well, let's quote Jesus. Let's rethink our lives, that part of our life. I've been living a lie. That's just not true. That's what they said about it, what they did to me. That's just not true. I need to rethink my life. And if you want this amazing grace, then eat and drink until you are full. Well, how is that possible for someone like me? Here it is. I think it's the best verse in the whole Bible. Because God so loved the world you, that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever, anybody who believes in him just has faith, not promises to do better and clean up your life. And I, that's my last time. No, 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 no. Just put your faith in Jesus. He'll take care of you. Will not perish, won't starve, but have an everlasting, abundant, more than sufficient, amazing level of grace-filled, grace-covered life. If you want that, he's saying, come home, come and sit at my table. It's not a little table. It's a banquet. It's a feast of amazing grace. And you can do that, even like right now, you know, in these next few minutes, going, I want that for my life. Then ask him, and he'll say yes. And we're going we're gonna, to close this service out. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna eat a meal together. It's Jesus' idea. We call it communion. 
Jesus had a few, a, few, a few of his followers up in a room, and he says, everybody eat a piece of bread. It represents me. It won't make sense, but it, it will. Everybody take a drink of wine or gra- grape juice. And as you do this, rethink your life. We're going to do that. And if you want to do that with us, you know, come and eat some food that reflects a true theology of grace. God's like this. Grace is like this. I'm going to eat until I'm full. Now, let me explain. Because we have a lot of visitors, a lot of people from out of town. I go to another church. We don't let people take communion at our church. Am I allowed to take communion here? I do this every year. Ready? You're in. Okay, so, all right? We have very low standards here. All right? Now, here's what I mean by that. All we believe here is that we're saved by grace through faith. And I don't care what church you go to, what franchise, it's all the same company. All right, so, right? That'll make sense on the car, right? Listen, if it's about Jesus and faith and trust in Jesus, that's what it's all about. But I made mistakes in my life. Me too. Well, I, I screwed up like five marriages, yeah? Is that all you got? Right? This is a place where we eat grace in huge, huge portions. We don't let go of truth, but we hold on to grace. And if you want that for yourself, some bread's going to come by, right? And you take a bite, right? There's some grape juice going to come by, and you, and you take a drink. Now, if you go, yeah, that feels weird to me, then let it go on by. But here, here's what I'm going to ask. So, so we're going to pass out communion. I'm going to pray. We're going to pass out communion. And then Sean's going to lead us in this amazing worship song, okay? So, I mean, it's, this is so good. This is so, uh, so I'm from Kentucky. This is how we say it in Kentucky. If this doesn't light your fire, your wood's wet. Ta-da, all right? <laughs> that's good. You'll use that before you go to bed tonight. All right, so, <laughs> so we're going to pass out communion, all right? And, but you're going to want to stand up this entire song. There's a point where you, get, you just have to stand up, all right? Don't stand up until that communion goes past you, all right? Uh, but, but at the right time, you'll know when to do that. This is a conversation that only you can have with God, your priest can't do it for you. Your parents can't do it for you. Your parents can't do it. Your kids can't do it. Your friends can't. You have to have your conversation with God. It's very, very simple. Will you forgive me? Can I have a bunch of grace? I don't need a little bit of grace. I don't need a, like a chicken nugget grace. I need like a banquet table of this. I just need all that I can have. And he'll say yes. And then you feast with us and remember, oh yeah, I'm forgiven. Let's pray. God, you're so good. And we are hungry. We're hungry for something that fills we try to fill up our lives with all these other things. And then we come to the end of it and go, that didn't, that didn't do anything. And then we run on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And the only thing that really will satisfy this emptiness in us, this pit in our stomach, in our heart, in our soul, is your son Jesus. And you knew that. And so you went first and he says, I got you. I'll take care of you. And you put on flesh and you came and you lived with us. Emmanuel, God with us. He said, it looks like this. And you served us. And you prepared this banquet table of this overwhelming grace and forgiveness. And when we come back to you, you don't put a finger in our chest and go, you should be ashamed and you should have known better. Even if that's true, that's not what you do. You just say, welcome home. You're not a slave anymore. You're my child. You don't have to be ashamed. I've covered you. Now come and eat and be full. All made possible through my son, Jesus. It's It's him who we worship. It's him who makes all this possible. His name is Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.